But, but the, uh, the reading, um, which kind of continues to chapter 11, verse 18, is one of the longest bits um, in the Luke's Gospel. And then we saw um, in that reference to chapter 3 and 4 that um, Luke spends a lot of time on some stories in order to amplify their importance. Um, and uh, you know, whenever uh, you read in Luke's Gospel or, or in Acts, uh, Luke spreading out the story um, with what appears to be sometimes unnecessary re- repetition you kind of think that maybe um, an editor might have kind of um, um, taken a few of those bits out but of course uh, we recognise that sometimes things are written not merely to inform but to make an impression upon us and sometimes um, repetition is used in order to um, to enforce um, the, uh, the point that's being made by a particular reading it's kind of interesting that Peter is in Joppa. Um, oh, wait, we get some pictures. It's interesting that Peter is in Joppa. Um, do you remember someone else um, from Joppa? Um, someone else with, with that kind of connection with Joppa? Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> and, it's, um, and what was the characteristic of Jonah um, when, when he um, was, uh, was asked to go and take a message to an unfamiliar people? He went the opposite way. I was going to be polite and say he was reluctant. <laughs> of course, you know, yes, I'm not from the north, am I? So, um, he was reluctant. He was reluctant, um, and and overcoming reluctance is a real challenge, isn't it? Um, whether it be in the time of Jonah or in the time of, uh, of Peter. Now, we saw on Friday evening that um, Jesus gave this really expansive mandate: the Holy Spirit would come in order that they might be able to testify in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now up to this point, the the church has been doing well, they've been growing, um, and it's good, it's good to see that growth, and it's good to see that momentum, but in terms of moving beyond um, Jerusalem, we have seen the conversion of the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, Um, we've seen the, the move in Samaria, or we haven't we haven't seen over this weekend, but you, you see it in, in the Acts of the Apostles. But the the movement out, the movement into the Gentile world, has not yet taken place. And, and even that movement in Samaria was not something that was planned. Um, it was persecution that drove the disciples out. And in a sense, the evangelization of Samaria was an incidental thing to um, to the life of the church. Um, so, so therefore. Um, there is there is a sense in which reluctance needs to be overcome, and it's probably true always that the easiest thing is to is to gather God's people. The harder thing is to reach those who are not yet God's people. It's always a more difficult thing to do, um, and therefore you know, sometimes we just need a little bit of a push, a little bit of a mo- motivation in order we might do that. And I think that what we see. In, in Acts chapter 10 is that the gospel does change everything. Now I think the important thing to remember, and someone's made this comment, that Acts chapter 10 is not primarily about the conversion of Cornelius, it's about the conversion of Peter. It's about the conversion of his imagination. It's about helping him to see life, see the gospel, see the world in a different way. And I think generally speaking, that's what we need, isn't it? It's what we need from God's Word. It's what we need day by day. We need to have our imagination refreshed. 
and we need that imagination spark so that we can um, see exactly what God is doing. Now, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, here? That God is doing something that the church is not doing. It's a work in this man, Cornelius, um, that they know nothing about. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, I love the story about Jackie, um, you know, um, not going down the particular street that she normally went down and just um, seeing the church. Now, that was nothing planned. You didn't create a diversion, did you? I mean, um, um, I'm presuming God sent you down that street. He was at work in that. Uh, and this is a remarkable thing. I think it's important for us to remember that God is always at work. He's always doing something. He's always kind of interfering with someone's life. He's always prodding and poking someone towards himself. Um, and sometimes it's been an unusual thing. Um, I found in the, in the church and its um, evangelism that often the people who are converted are converted not as a result of what we directly do. It's a strange thing, really. Um, sometimes you do evangelistic work and, and seemingly nothing particularly comes of it. And, and another time you're not really actually doing anything particularly intentional and um, someone comes to faith in Christ. No, I... You know, I know, I know the uh, conclusion you could come to, don't do any evangelism, but I think that's the conclusion we come to. Um, I think maybe when we're kind of, you know, working hard, etc., etc., um, we might assume that if you do A, you're always going to get B. And, and that's not really good, is it? Um, that kind of, that's, that feeling that everything is kind of a bit of cause and effect. It seems to be in our control, doesn't it? You know, we press the button, and hey, press go out the bottom uh, of the chocolate machine comes a new Christian. Um, simple. I mean, if it, if it was that simple, it would be good. We'd be, we'd, we'd be full. You know, all our churches would be full. Sometimes, um, you know, God honours our faithfulness in evangelism by bringing people to Christ, even though our involvement in their coming to Christ is minimal. Because after all, we are strategically important in the mission of the church, but we're not indispensable. You know, that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? God could do it all himself. Um, it is a gracious thing that he includes us in the partnership of bringing the good news to the world. Um, because he likes to share. And that's a good lesson, isn't it, for a church leader. It's good to share the love, it's good to share the opportunity and, and, and the responsibility because other people um, see something of the joy and pleasure of, of God being at work in people's lives. So, the person that God is at work in is a Roman centurion. And I guess that Peter would have had stereotypes about centurions and Romans and occupying forces, like Welsh people have um, views about the English, <laughs> Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, and so on. Stereotypes about an invading force um, from a foreign land. Now, of course, it's interesting that Jesus um, seems to act and speak uh, very favourably towards um, centurions in the Gospel, and we kind of see, obviously in this instance, a man spoken of favourably. Um, that that profile at the beginning of um, chapter 10 um, speaks of a man who obviously is very open to God, um, a God-fearer, um, a seeker, after God, and yet someone who has not yet um, come into a personal relationship 
we've got, we've got on the right page here, ten. Um, so uh, we're told there in verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Um, now, probably he'd have been made an elder in most churches with that kind of profile. Um, you know, he, 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 he was um, very serious about what he was doing. Um, yet, um, he had not yet come to faith in Christ. And most of that was very important. But God makes himself known to him through a vision. Now, it's fascinating that in the, in the last few decades, news coming out of the Muslim world in particular, um, how many people have been prepared in some way by a vision or a dream that someone is going to come, or some message is going to come, uh, that will introduce them to Jesus. It's remarkable that that's the case. And uh, at places that are not so well reached, that are more remote, where, where there's not the, the availability of churches and Bibles and the, the kind of resources that we have, um, God sometimes still uses um, visions and dreams in order to awaken people. So this man is awakened. And this man, Cornelius, is a, is a bridge figure. He's a bridge figure between um, the church and the Gentile world. Here's a man who is an outsider, um, but he is very interested. Um, you know, if you were kind of thinking about cold and, and hot contacts for, for evangelistic work, you know, the, the person who comes to the toddler group and and, and picks up the um, um, the tracks and the invitations to church and talks to you about what, what you do on a Sunday, that's the kind of person that you feel, well, maybe, if you're going to invite someone to an evangelistic course, they would be responsive. Rather than the guy next door um, who kind of doesn't really talk to you about anything and seems to be kind of against everything, um, you don't kind of feel it necessarily as the person you're going to go to first to say, why not come to the Christianity Explored course, because we kind of feel that the response may not be quite so favourable. So here is someone who is, who is kind of open. And, and I think it's a really important question to ask, you know, how open to God are we? Um, because the, obviously the next person who has a vision, um, there in verse 9, is, is Peter. Now Peter doesn't know at this point that a, a man many miles away has had a vision. And in fact, the, the process of, of sending a delegation to Peter to connect up has already begun. So it's meanwhile back at the ranch kind of moment um, here. Meanwhile back at the ranch, Peter is in Simon the Tanner's house, a place where animal skins would have um, been drying out and, uh, and so on. He's um, at middle of the day, noon, and he's up on the roof, Peter, and he's praying. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? All four of our messages have featured prayer in some way or another. The, the great leap forward into Gentile mission begins with one of the apostles on the roof praying. Um, if prayer is important, and I think we, we do believe it's important, it is, it is the um, the vortex through which God seems to speak to people in their, in their need of fresh insight, wisdom, direction. Here is Peter up on the roof about noon. Now, it's the time when people were, were eating, are going to eat, and uh, the food is being prepared, and 
on the roof, the flat roof, that's where some of the cooking would have happened. It's also where the, the washing would hang. It's also where these skins would hang. Now, I don't know if, um, if you're a dreamer, but some people who are dreamers, they dream about the things that they've experienced just before they go to bed. So just imagine this. You know, he's having, he's having this kind of uh, prayer siesta. And of course, you understand that, don't you? Sometimes praying does turn into snoozing, doesn't it, occasionally? Um, and as you kind of had that kind of prayer stroke snoozing zone up on, on the roof and you're, you're waiting for your lunch, you can smell the food. There's also the smell of the animal skins and there's the billowing of, um, of sheets up on the roof. Someone once um, said that they were having a dream that they had eaten a giant marshmallow. They woke up in the morning to find that they'd eaten their pillow. <laughs> Sometimes the, the kind of things that are around us, the sensations, the smells, um, kind of filter into our dreams. There's a sense in which that's the case here. Um, God speaks to Peter um, and says, you know, we, we really um, need to talk. And, uh, and the way that um, he, he, he speaks to, to Peter is to say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And of course, the, the vision he's had is that this big sheep, the billowing sheep that has kind of been billowing around him, full of what are ceremonially unclean animals. Peter, rise up and eat. Peter! Grab yourself a bacon sandwich. Now, here, Peter, and, and this is something that, that, that we need to, from time to time, do, Peter has been brought to the edge of his comfort zone. In fact, he's been pushed right over the edge of his comfort zone. And sometimes that's something that is required. Peter says, surely not, Lord, first of all, to you, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, it's interesting that three times the vision comes to him. And, of course, three times for Peter is something that we kind of think about in his backstory. You know, three times he denies. Um, three times Jesus comes to him and says, you know, do you, do you love me? And, and here the message comes to him three times. I wonder how long it takes for God to get through to you. Perhaps three is optimistic. <laughs> Now, how often do we hear what we need to hear before we actually accept what we've got to hear? Now, I know this is true, but, you know, we kind of put it back on the, on the back burner. Get up, Peter, and eat. Now, we, we saw this yesterday. Sometimes your worst nightmare um, can be your biggest breakthrough. And, of course, it is a nightmare. The nightmare... Um, well, suddenly my, my familiar world is, is somehow being broken up. You know, the, the, what I've understood as being um, the, the boundaries of my world is suddenly being dismantled. I, I find this really difficult to, um, to, to accept. I, I want to be where I have always been. But, of course, the, the message is, um, there in verse 15, do not call anything impure or unclean what God has made clean. Of course, Jesus had said something about this in Matthew, in Mark chapter 7, where he says, you know, all foods are clean. <coughs> He's um, and dismantling the, the, the food laws of the, uh, of the Old Testament. 
But of course, we're not talking about food here, and this is symbolic. Um, uh, clearly, he's talking not about animals, but about people. That people are not unclean. There's no one who is so unwashed that they can't be part of the community of God's people. There's no one who is so far away from the gospel. There's no group that is unqualified to be part of the Christian church. And that's really important to recognise. There is um, a welcome in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for those who are different. Um, I remember um, reading a story um, uh, that someone wanted to try and talk about um, working through the kind of difference between the Old and New Testament in terms of getting your head around God saying, you shouldn't do this, and now you should do this. And the, uh, and the image that they gave was of a, of a woman standing um, <coughs> on the side of the road and her two children on the other side of the road and she says to the children, don't cross. And then, after a minute or two, she says, come over. Now, um, it could be bewildering to a child to hear, don't cross. Come over. But of course, the don't cross was really essential, wasn't it? Because it was dangerous to cross at that point. But when the, the traffic has stopped, it's okay to cross. And the message, come over. Now, it's, a, it's the opposite message, isn't it? But because something has happened, it's no longer dangerous to cross. Because something has happened, Christ has come. And a different way of approach to God, a different way of being clean, has been created. And therefore, it's okay to come over. It's a different situation, and Peter needs to recognise it's a different situation. It's not just for, for him and the apostles and the people in Jerusalem, the people of the Jewish nation... Now, the good news is available for all. Luke has radically redrawn the map of who was in and who was out of the church of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, uh, all the thick stone walls have disappeared. And suddenly, the church is a church without walls. Anyone can come in on the basis of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why had it taken Peter so long to recognise that the door was wide open? Uh, Jesus had said in chapter 1 and verse 8 that they would go through the Spirit and take the Gospel around the world. Peter himself had said on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit was been pulled out on all flesh. Um, and when you read the Old Testament carefully, uh, the, the prophets in particular and the Psalms give us a vision of the good news going to all the nations. I love Psalm 67 in that regard, you know, that God would bless all nations. That's what they pray for in, in their Psalms. Um, it took time. And it sometimes can take time for us to realise the radical implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to um, make sure that we are supple enough in our understanding and supple enough 
in our response to the gospel and our proclamation of the gospel to not exclude anyone by our nervousness or our stinginess in terms of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want the church to be in the right place, and this is a kind of great post-lockdown kind of statement, isn't it? And this verse here in 10.33, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We are all here in the presence of God to hear what the Lord has commanded you to tell us. It's a lovely picture, isn't it, of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, all together, all in one place, all, all, all on the same page, ready to listen and ready to respond. It, it's a wonderful spirit. And that's a, that's a group of people who've not yet actually heard the gospel. And not yet um, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you kind of wonder whether, um, you know, such a readiness um, is, is often absent. In, in the Church of Jesus Christ, people have heard the gospel and have experienced the Holy Spirit. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to be amongst God's people. We are here and we are present. Now we all know, don't we? I mean, dads are at the table who are not present. You know, they're physically present but not present. People in church who are not present. It's really good, isn't it, to be the church in the present tense. We're here. We're ready for listening. We are responsive. Now we said that um, it's not so much the um, conversion of, of Cornelius that's this story, it's the conversion of Peter. So he says this there in verse 34, Peter began to speak, and I realised how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts um, from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now I think it's a good thing for a church leader to say, I didn't quite get this, but I do now get it. It's a wonderful thing for church leaders to say, we've made a discovery. It's a wonderful thing for, for, for the church to say, we've we discovered a new thing. We've seen something in a new light. The problem with the church so often is, it seems as though it knows it all. There's no church that knows it all. And it's a really great thing when the church says, well, I've seen this in a fresh way. And Peter says, well, I now get it. God does not show favoritism with the gospel. Um, God has no you know, favoured group. Anyone who listens to the message can get in. Doesn't matter who you are. Whosoever will may come. Whoever the Father gives to me, Jesus said, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. It's a wonderful message, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful message. It's what got us in, isn't it? It's what got me in. It's what got Peter in. It's what gets. Um, Cornelius in. On him writes a bit like this, for the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Peter is willing to change his mind. 
And as Peter changes his mind, God changes the minds and hearts of Cornelius and his household. And you kind of think, you know, as you pray for um, change in Otley, as you pray for people to be converted in Otley, it's kind of worth, worth asking the question, what needs to change in you for people to change in Otley? What needs to change in you in terms of your perception of the gospel, your perception of the freeness of God's grace, for there to be an open door for those who have not yet experienced God's grace. Peter has experienced a conversion of the imagination. And, and you know, I, I wonder whether maybe that's a great prayer. Great prayer for Otley. Great prayer for Beach Hill. Conversion of the imagination. What is possible? I told you the story yesterday about John Tolbert. That man who came to faith in Jesus after coming to the church at Christmas time. And, and going to the prayer meeting and saying, John's been converted. And first instance, silence. So they're not used to the idea that God <coughs> does that. Now, sometimes our imagination needs to be sparked and changed. Uh, Peter preaches the good news. We've heard that message. It's a, um, it's a wonderful sermon. We could kind of spend a great deal of time on that. Kind of seems to be like the, the outline of Mark's Gospel, giving all the, the basic salient points about the, the Gospel. And as the, the message is proclaimed, um, it concludes with those, those words in, in verse 43. All the prophets testify about him, that Jesus, that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And of course, if someone comes to us and says, you know, I'm from a housing estate, am I part of the everyone? You say, yes. Um, I'm someone who's a multiple divorcee. Um, am I one of the everyones? Well, yes, you are one of the everyones. I'm someone who's done some bad things and in, been in dark places in my life. Am I part of the everyone? Well, yes, you're part of the everyone. I'm a self-satisfied, self-made man who's lived for myself and my own interests. Am I part of the everyone? Well, yes. Yes, you're part of the everyone. There is room for you. There is room for all. Now, of course, Peter has gone to Cornelius' house and he's, he's taken some people with him. And they've never seen anything like this before. They've never seen God at work in this way. And... And it's probably important for a variety of reasons for them to realise that these people are real Christians, that God has really done something in their lives. So we see there in verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, it's kind of interesting that the experience of conversion has no kind of set pattern in the New Testament. You know, sometimes people um, believe and then are kind of baptised. Sometimes people experience the Spirit, then they um, are baptised. Sometimes uh, people uh, become Christians and they speak in tongues. And sometimes people, people Christians don't speak in tongues. There is no kind of direct pattern. The important thing is that people believe in Jesus, they publicly proclaim that, and that is marked by 
baptism, the public declaration that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Saviour, declaring pictorially the gospel message of the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What seems to be happening here, and some people call it that, uh, is a Gentile Pentecost. It's saying, in, in a kind of microcosm, what they experience at Pentecost, they're experiencing here. Peter and his entourage are being told, these people are not a kind of second-rate gathering. They've got it all. They've had, they've, they've had the whole Christian package. They are the whole deal. They're not, they're not one piece of um, unleavened bread short of a picnic. They are really part of the Christian church. They are really included. They are welcome. And when, when Peter goes to, to report this, and, and the kind of rehearsed in chapter um, 11, 1 to 18, the conclusion there in verse 18 is this. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, even, <laughs> even to Gentiles, even to Southerners, even the people in <laughs> Lancashire, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a remarkable thing that is. Perhaps we'll pause for a moment and just be quiet for a second or two and, and think about something that you've discovered this weekend or been reminded of this weekend for yourself that you need to kind of reflect on. And something that you've kind of discovered, been reminded of concerning the church. Just think for a moment, close your eyes, ponder that and pray that God would and um, really embed that into your very soul and will stimulate you to be different as, as a result. Father God, we thank you so much for the freeness of your grace. We thank you for the grace of God that reaches us where we are, but does not leave us there. We thank you for the way that you draw us to yourself. We thank you for your work of transformation, bringing us out of darkness into light. We thank you for the freeness of the, of the offer of the gospel. We thank you that it comes to us, uh, wherever we are, whatever we've been. And we thank you that the, the terms of the welcome are the same, whatever our background or personality. Father God, we think, thank you for the, the sheer joy and wonder of being able to be part of what you're doing in the world, of, of calling a people to yourself. We thank you for the Church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for its, um, its nature and composition. 
thank you that it is a, a group that comes from, from everywhere, from every tribe and nation. And we thank you for that glorious vision that we see of it in the book of Revelation. And Father God, we thank you for the expression of the church here in, in Auckland. And Father God, we, we thank you for what you've done over the many years of its existence. And we thank you for your work in these recent days in its um, fresh form, uh, with a new name, uh, in, in a new building. And Father God, we, we thank you that um, there is this opportunity for a fresh start. Many churches um, feel that they'd like to have a fresh start because, uh, because um, they want to kind of refresh things. Um, but Father, thank you that they've had the opportunity to have a fresh start. And Father God, we, we pray that this would be um, the platform for um, really healthy development and growth into the future. Father God, we thank you uh, for so many uh, notes of the church which are welcome. We thank you, Father, for their desire to seek you, their desire to worship you, their desire to hear your word, their desire to call upon you in prayer. We thank you, Father, for their hospitality, and we thank you for their, their joy. We thank you for their relationships. We thank you, Father, for their growing connections with the local community. We thank you for their visibility. And Father God, we pray that they would be given your grace to build upon this as they make tentative steps to, to reach out into the local community. Father God, pray that you'll help them as they discern where you are at work, the people that you are prompting and preparing. And Father God, we pray that you'll lead them to people like Cornelius. And we pray, Father, that you will give them um, a, a truly hospitable heart that will welcome uh, people who are seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, particularly we pray that you'll help them as they, as they welcome people that are different. Pray that they'll be given your grace and wisdom to incorporate them well. And we pray, Father, that um, perhaps in five years' time, there will be those who have been saved and serving and involved in leadership and winning others uh, from Otley. Father God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your church here. We pray for Chris and Caroline. We pray that you'll encourage them, strengthen them, and use them. We thank you for their gifts and their personality. We pray that you protect them, and we pray that you give them great joy in the work that they're doing. We pray, Father, that you'll strengthen the leadership team, and we pray that you will help the church to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What I'm praying for is a healthy church. A big church is not necessarily a healthy church. Um, a healthy church is a church that loves Jesus and loves people. Um, keep those things in mind and you will maintain um, healthiness. And I'm just going to leave up just for a, a moment. Oh, yeah, just, just that. Just recently, um, John Stevens put this list of healthy church characteristics. The spirit of grace and kindness that permeates the culture of the church and the community. And embracing a biblical truth over popular opinion. Cultivating a place to belong rather than merely attend. Global matters, we care about the world, but local is home, where we build a, a base for um, the church and its effectiveness. And being unified around purpose rather than divided by agenda. 
one of the things that happens when people come in who are already believers from other places is that you can kind of have a lot of agendas jostling around. One purpose. That's the thing we saw in Acts, isn't it? One in mind and purpose. So important. Something to ponder. Healthy church. Don't go, don't come to church. Be the church. Thank you. It's been lovely being with you this weekend. Um, Thank you. Thank you.